I am more creative and more capable than I gave myself credit for in the past. Learning to trust myself and believe in myself has been something that I've learned through all of this. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you create a more fulfilling career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and successfully make a major career pivot. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you take the brave steps needed to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her experience of relaunching her career from working in advertising to professional DJing. We'll discuss how to think about which opportunities to pursue and how to balance your career and family interests. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll discuss the importance of giving yourself some credit, especially when you feel like you're falling short. Vietnamese is an interesting language. The words and grammar rules are simple. This track you're hearing right now is from my guest on today's show, DJ Lonnie Love, who started her career working in advertising in New York City. Then on the side, she started DJing as a hobby, interning with DJ Morsi. When she moved to Chicago, DJing really picked up for her, so she decided to leave her advertising job behind to pursue a full-time career in music and DJing. Now, one of the things I loved about talking with Lonnie is that she gives a raw, honest account of what it's like to not only step out of your comfort zone to do what you love, but also to reach a point where you trust yourself enough to do what you love on stage in front of a ton of people. So even if you have no aspirations to become a performer or DJ yourself, I think the experiences Lonnie shares about opening a new chapter in your career are relevant to anyone entering any new industry or role. You can get all the show notes and listen to Lonnie's full music tracks featured in today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 45. Lonnie spoke with me from Los Angeles. Good morning, Lonnie, and thanks so much for joining me here on Career Relaunch. Good morning. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am really excited to talk with you today, Lonnie, because you're the first DJ we've got on this show. And I want to get into all those details about your life as a DJ and how you became a DJ. But could you just kick us off by letting us know what you're focused on right now in your career and your life? I am DJing, but I'm taking things to the next step and focusing on production and songwriting and, you know, just trying to figure out work-life balance, the constant battle that everyone has. Can you tell us a little bit more about that song that we heard in the intro? And maybe that'll give us a good way of starting to talk about this topic of DJing. So that song's Viet Q. And Viet Q is a term that's used for Vietnamese people living outside of Vietnam. So you could be born in Vietnam and live somewhere else and be called Viet Q, or you can be American-born like myself, but of Vietnamese heritage and be a Viet Q. So it's inspired by my experiences as a Vietnamese American. I wanted to make something that incorporates the two languages that I'm fluent in, Vietnamese and English. And the kind of fun thing about making this song, Vietnamese is a language that has a lot of tones, like I think it's six tones or something like that, compared to most languages, which have four. So trying to create lyrics that complemented Western musicality with Vietnamese words was very interesting. It was an exercise because 
the language has so many tones and the way your voice fluctuates affects the actual word and what you're saying. I know in that song, we didn't get a chance to play the whole thing, but you go on to talk about the Vietnamese language. Vietnamese is an interesting language. The words and grammar rules are simple, but if you didn't grow up a native speaker, the pronunciation can be a little tricky. How much does your Vietnamese heritage influence your actual DJing or your musical style? More than anything, it probably just influences my work ethic. I didn't listen to too much music growing up. I think I was exposed to a lot of it, but I don't think it on a huge level necessarily influences my musical taste or style, but it's something that's part of my childhood and upbringing. But I think more than anything, it's just being a child of an immigrant impacted my work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. I am kind of like you. I, Well, I'm Taiwanese, but I was born in the United States. And yeah, we, there are similar terms for people who are not born and raised in Taiwan, but are Taiwanese. And it's hard for that aspect of your life not to influence who you are. So yeah, that's very interesting. Out of curiosity, is that your voice in the song that is going through the Vietnamese lyrics? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Okay, so I'd love to get into that later, just how you actually go about creating each of these songs. Before we go back in time, can you also just give us an example of some of the places where you have DJed? So I started DJing in New York. So I played at various bars and clubs there in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Then I moved to Chicago, again, just like club, nightlife scene, but started doing a lot more retail brand and corporate events. I did a little bit of that in New York, but Chicago is where that really took off for me. And now I'm LA based. So doing the same sort of thing. I often travel for gigs. Sometimes it's a corporation or a big company like Tesla Motors. I DJed in San Francisco, their showroom opening, did that for them. And upcoming, I'm DJing a conference in Texas at the end of next month. So, you know, I kind of float around for various gigs. Um, And then sometimes it's for fun, like me adding a gig to existing travel, like my recent Vietnam trip. I want to go back in time a little bit with you, Lonnie, and just explore what you were doing before you were a DJ, because I know you weren't always a DJ and you were working in the advertising industry. Can you just tell us briefly about your time in the advertising industry and then we can move forward from there? So I was a brand strategist for about eight years, full-time, 40 hours a week, realistically 50 plus. And I worked with brand clients to identify better ways to connect with their target audiences. Sometimes it would be a branding issue, like a way they talk about themselves, the product attributes that they were highlighting. And then other times it was a communications or channels issue, like they weren't engaging enough with their audiences on various social or digital platforms. I worked with a lot of packaged good brands, so like Pampers, Kellogg's Cereal, Mike's Harder, And I would just write creative briefs that would help guide the development of ad campaigns. Yeah, I remember when I used to work in brand marketing, we worked with a lot of agencies like yours. And on the one hand, that kind of work that you just described, Lonnie, sounds really exciting and really rich. And at the same time, from the people I know who work in agencies, I know that sometimes life at an agency also has its challenges. I'm just curious, what made you decide to leave that world behind? Well, I worked at a lot of big agencies, so 
the Saatchi and Saatchi's and Leo Burnett's of the world where I think I got lucky with both teams. I had really great bosses, coworkers, mentors, but I think when you work for bigger agencies, sometimes you're also working with bigger clients, which means they're slower to change. The work can be really stressful because there is so much at stake with large budgets, but then you might not get the creative fulfillment that you're hoping for a career in advertising. When you look at the talent in agency life, there are so many creative people and people who are really excited to tap into their creative potential. But if your client's not ready for it, or if your agency maybe isn't supportive of it, you don't get to use your creative mind as much as you'd like. And at what point did you start to figure out that you wanted to walk away from that world and start to pursue life as a DJ? I think it was two parts. One, like what we talked about, advertising careers having their various challenges, maybe not being as creatively fulfilling as one would like. And then the second thing is just DJing. It was really picking up for me. So I went from playing about one to two times a month to one to two times a week. And then I got to a point where I was playing like three or more times a week. And I just felt like, okay, maybe there's enough momentum here for me to see what would happen if I gave this more of my attention or all of my attention. I'm trying to imagine you're working full-time 40, 50, maybe more hours a week during the day in your day job. How did you actually get started as a DJ? I started as an intern for this DJ, Morrissey, out of New York. This was pretty much the same time I started working in advertising, actually. So I'm originally from California, had been a California girl like my whole life. And then when I moved to New York, I literally didn't know anyone. I think I had three casual acquaintances, you know, a friend from college radio, a friend's ex-boyfriend from high school. Like I really didn't have many close friends. In moving to New York, I felt like if I'm going to make this move worth it, I need to pursue everything that I'm interested in. So sometime during my first year in New York, I was like, I need to learn how to DJ because this has been a goal of mine all through college, but I was just too shy and timid to really pursue it. Also, DJing was more cost prohibitive then because you had to get like the turntables. Controllers weren't an option. Yeah, so I started shadowing this guy that I met in Brooklyn. I had been following him on MySpace for years. And he was nice enough to work out an arrangement with me where we'd meet up once a week, did the intern type thing. And then he would spend some time showing me the fundamentals of DJing, like beat matching, transitioning, blending. I really owe him for helping me get started. This world of DJing is something I know absolutely nothing about. And at the same time, I think probably everybody listening to this show has at one point in time crossed paths with a DJ if you've attended any sort of event or a party. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about your life as a DJ, Lonnie, and get into some of the details of it, because I think it's a really interesting world that most people probably don't really know much about. And I want to start by playing a quick sample from another one of your songs called Candlestick Flicka. Thank you. 
Okay, so can you just tell me a little bit more about that song and the inspiration behind that song? So this is a song that started in the studio with my friend Nick Scalise, and then I took it home and made it into what you hear now. So um, Nick had kind of started a bass line and some drums and all of that. And when I took it home, I rearranged the drums a little bit, chose different sounds and instrumentation for the bass line and added the various flourishes to make it feel a little more lively. Nick's an extremely talented musician and producer. And the cool thing is I think working with a friend, you get like a different perspective, different ideas, but I've had like a different vision for my music like he comes from more of like an indie pop world and i have aspirations to make dance music so i like you know a little more bass in a lot of my songs <laughs> can you just walk us through your process of creating a track like this i know in this case you were building off of your friend's track but how do you actually go about creating a new track they sometimes start with a bass line And then sometimes it's a melody. I'm really melodically driven. So I often hum little riffs and top lines to myself. And then we'll sometimes record those and see, okay, can I try to build around that and then make it into hopefully a song? So sometimes it's an idea and it's like, okay, this is just a snippet that doesn't have legs. And then other times I build something out and I'm like, wow, this could be a song. This can be fun. With Candlestick Flicka, for example, just when I was choosing the different sounds, I felt like in the tempo of it or the rhythm reminded me of an actual candle and like a darker setting. And then I started thinking about what happens in a nightclub or around candles, I guess. So dimmer lighting, people get a little close because you don't see all the details. Everyone looks a little more attractive and sexy. All <laughs> so, uh-huh. <yeah>. right. <laughs> so speaking of nightclubs, we've talked a little bit about your process for creating these tracks. I'd love to switch gears a little bit now, Lonnie, and talk about the experience of actually being up in front of a crowd DJing. Can you just take us to one of your first moments when you were up in front of a big crowd and DJing for the first time? What was going through your head and what was that experience like for you? One of the first times I DJed for a crowd, probably in New York with my friend Morsi, I mentioned, and the earlier gigs, a lot of it is just thinking to yourself, like, don't mess up. The technical part of it, blending of songs, the various knobs on the mixer, like, it's just not as instinctive as it would be once you're a seasoned DJ. And You're thinking like, I want to play this song because it's cool, but you don't really know how people will respond to it because you just aren't as seasoned. So I think a lot of it was just freaking out and being like, oh, I hope I am doing this right. I hope this sounds okay. I hope I don't clear the dance floor. (laughs) I don't know that everyone worries as much as I do, but I I take DJing pretty seriously. I just wanted to try my best to, to be good and play something that was like different, but still fun and familiar. That would seem like an immense amount of pressure to me to be up there where the entire life of the party kind of rests on you. Do you have any thoughts on how you manage that? It sounds like you did deal with some nerves 
But how did you actually overcome that and get past that? Practice is a big part of it. And then I feel just comfortable and I've played on every single mixer. So for the most part, it's just reflex and instinctive. Like I know all the songs in my catalog really well. So I can kind of just sing along and I'll, I'll know that, okay, right after this chorus is when I want to mix out. And it's not even something that I really think about. So I can spend more energy and focus watching the room and seeing how people are responding to various songs. And then I also know that, okay, these handful of songs are really great at building the dance floor. And these are various songs that I can use to kind of change the energy of the room to take it from like zero to a hundred. I also want to talk about the business of being a DJ, which is probably not something most of us think about. Have there been any sort of surprising parts of building an actual business for yourself as a DJ? Because there's also that whole side of it. I actually made a diagram on this when I was at Leo Burnett, like X, Y axis, one being money and one being like how cool a gig is. There's this small sweet spot where you make a lot of money and the gig's cool. But a lot of the coolest gigs don't come with the most money. And then there's wedding DJing, which if I'm honest, probably the least cool, but can be quite <laughs> lucrative if you want it right. to be. So I made a conscious decision to be like, okay, I mean, money, obviously, I, I have to make a living. I'm an adult. I have bills to pay, a life to live, but I'm not chasing money because if I was, I'd probably still be working in an office. So I was like wedding DJing, no matter the amount of money, I will likely turn it down unless, you know, close friend or some client, you know, something like that. But I have no aspirations to be a wedding DJ. I have no aspirations to own like a a booking agency and have other DJs work for me. I just really want to work with brands and people and clubs and venues that I'm genuinely excited about. And what is the impact, if any, of being female or Vietnamese or both on your experiences as a DJ? Being female, there's... I think a little bit of a novelty associated with it because there are fewer female DJs. I think you often get underestimated. People who are really involved with music and DJing know that there are many talented female DJs, but people who are maybe a slightly step removed don't know that. And so they're always like, oh, you're really good for female DJ. And it's like, whoa, for a female DJ, why do you have to like give that caveat? It's a backhanded compliment. There are more female DJs than before, but still a minority in the industry. And when you look at festivals and all of that, women don't make up as large a part of that population as they should because there are so many talented women. So speaking of gigs, Lonnie, one of the things you talked about in your interview that I read with Rent the Runway is that if something is meant to be, it will happen. What has made you come to adopt that sort of philosophy in your career? Sometimes I would have a conflict and I'd be really distraught that I couldn't take on this gig or I couldn't work with this brand because you know I just didn't have the date available. But what I've kind of realized from doing this for a decade, <laughs> another opportunity will kind of come around. There might be the one that seems the most ideal, but if it's meant to be, it will happen. So there have been venues where 
when they first opened, I reached out and they're like, they already have a booked calendar. I don't get to play. I'm kind of bummed out. And then later, sure enough, they reach out and then I end up becoming a weekend resident DJ. Like, that's cool. So generally, I kind of am a little bit less stressed about things. I just think things will kind of work out one way or another. I also want to talk about the balance between your professional life, Lonnie, as a DJ, and also your personal life. And I know that you mentioned you were in New York, and I know you were also in Chicago for a while and sounded from our last conversation like things were going quite well as a DJ there in Chicago. What made you move back home to LA? Between New York and Chicago, I'd been away for a decade. So each time I came home to see my parents, I saw that they were older. And that kind of freaked me out. And then I think the thing that really did it, both my parents are okay, so I'll start with that. But in one week, my dad got in a really bad car accident, like super nasty. And it was on an inside street, two blocks from his house. And then in that same week, my mom slipped and fell in her restaurant and broke her ankle. But that just was like a wake-up call and a reminder that they're mortal and their time and my time on earth is really precious. So I just upped and moved. It was a really fast move. I think in my mind, I'd always known that I would try to be closer to them, but the timing of it was really driven by those two incidences. And what impact on your career, if any, has that had on your professional life as a DJ? If I'm honest, not the best. (laughs) DJing is not like other careers. Your resume doesn't necessarily carry a lot of weight. It doesn't matter what I've done. Here, it's a lot of who you know and the various scenes that you associate with. So it's almost like starting over and moving here. In terms of like my business and my gigs, I kind of had to start over. But now I'm gigging on a consistent basis in LA. I have my group of people that I like to play with, that I work on music with, which is a newer thing for me. So I'm in a better place with LA. I feel good about it and I'm optimistic about opportunities that will come out of living here. Just like songwriting and production alone has been a big goal of mine for a while and being in LA has really helped me pursue that. And when you look back on this transition, Lonnie, going from someone who once worked in advertising to what now sounds like quite a successful run as a DJ, what's something that you wish you had known that you now know about changing careers? Just learning how to be self-employed. There's a learning curve that goes with that. Plus finding new clients, uh, managing your calendar, bookkeeping, stuff like that. So I kind of maybe wish that I had known more holistically all the things that I would be managing in becoming my own boss. It would have been nice to just have a little more awareness about just how I would be working so much. (laughs) Is there also something that you have learned about yourself from this process of making this shift? I am more creative and more capable than I gave myself credit for in the past. And even now, sometimes I have to like give myself a little pep talk and be like, you can do this. You've done this. (laughs) I think just learning to trust myself a little more and believe in myself. It's been something that I've learned through all of this. And it's been, it's been a cool journey and still a work in progress. 
the last thing I want to talk about, Lonnie, before we wrap up is your time at South by Southwest, which I know when we first connected, uh, that was before you were about to play out there. And I think it's super cool that you got to play a South by Southwest. And first of all, for those people who aren't familiar with South by Southwest, can you tell us a little bit more about the event? South by Southwest uh, is a festival. There's the interactive portion, film, and music. Every single venue in the city has some sort of South by showcase. And this year I had the opportunity to play four official showcases. And that was really amazing because I got to be on the bill with some artists that I really like and admire. And then I also got to play in front of people that I admire, look up to. It's kind of crazy. It's just this really unique environment because you have really huge artists in a variety of venues. Sometimes they're at a smaller place than they would typically play. And you have like a lot of up and coming talent on stages being exposed to like new audiences. So for myself, that was really cool because I definitely have some new fans. I don't even like saying fans because I feel like I'm still just a small person. But yes, there are people who now follow me that are not friends of mine. (laughs) I follow you on on SoundCloud now. So so yeah, my understanding, Lonnie, is that yeah, South by Southwest, it started off as a music festival, but now it's really taken off, especially the film and interactive events featuring tech firms. And I know they've got accelerator pitch events and this thing is huge there in Austin, Texas. And I'm just wondering, how did you get the opportunity to DJ at such a huge event? Part of it was luck, right? So in the past, I've had South by opportunities present themselves, but they didn't work out and I was bummed. This year, stars just aligned and it was great. So I had the opportunity to play one South by showcase. And I actually had debated whether or not I wanted to go because a lot of artists come to play that festival out of pocket. Like you get a small amount of money for playing a showcase and it it depends on which showcase too. And then I got hit up about another showcase. So I was like, oh, well to play two, I think it's worth it. So I'll do it. So I, I went ahead and committed, got my flight, all of that. And then I think just from committing to being there, I got hit up about other opportunities and then got referred for another one. So then it went from being one to four showcases just by me saying, okay, I'm going to be at South by. Now that I think about it, a lot of it has to do with just stepping stones. So one of the groups that I worked with that booked me, I had worked with them previously in Chicago. I played two of their Lollapalooza after parties. So a lot of it just comes from staying in touch with people that I've worked with and then just having being fortunate enough to have people who are nice enough to remember me when they have awesome opportunities like this. I'd love to wrap up, Lonnie, by talking a little bit more about what you're doing right now. Can you just tell us what types of events you most enjoy DJing right now in your life? I love doing brand events and day parties you know, nightlife is always going to be a part of DJing, but lifestyle-wise, I'm trying to be healthy, I'm trying to sleep at relatively normal hours. So I really love working with brands to do store openings, trunk shows, or DJ like conferences when they come up. I'm also working, spending a lot more time on creating original music. So collaborating with other writers 
and producers to make music. Yeah, that's really interesting that that difference in lifestyle between being a nightclub DJ, which I think is what a lot of us have in our heads when we first think of the word DJ. And then there's also the corporate events. And yeah, I guess it could start to wear on you, I suppose, if you're always doing these middle of the night, loud dance parties every night. You need to see the sun, like a fair amount of it to feel happy and healthy. So I really try to have somewhat of a normal schedule, but I mean, it's not possible at the moment, but on nights that I, or days where I'm not DJing the night before, I really try to wake up like at a normal time. Well, if people out there listening to this are interested in booking you for their event, if they're looking for a DJ, how can they get in touch with you? They can just find me on my website, djlonnylove.com. Yeah, I'm on all over social media. So I think I'm fairly accessible. Well, we'll include a link to your website in the show notes. And we'll also include a link to your SoundCloud page at DJ Lonnie Love, where people can listen to more of your very cool original tracks. So thank you so much, Lonnie, for telling us more about your life as a DJ and your transitions and also the realities of running a DJ business and also managing the balance between work and family. So best of luck with all your upcoming gigs and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Lonnie's perspectives on the world of DJing, the impact your family life can have on your career, and the importance of believing in yourself. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to talk about why giving yourself some credit for your achievements sometimes takes a little extra effort. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Audible for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks offering over 180,000 audiobook titles for listening anytime and anywhere on your favorite device. And for listeners of this show, they're offering a free audiobook download and 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com slash career relaunch to download your free audiobook today. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I want to piggyback off of something Lonnie said about realizing she's more capable and creative than she gave herself credit for in the past. So I want to pick up on this topic of giving yourself credit for all that you do, not only in your career, but also your life. Now, back when I used to work in the corporate world, I was fortunate enough to work at some great companies with some really great managers. And I remember when I first became a manager myself, one of the very first pieces of advice I got about how to be an effective manager was to make sure I took the time to acknowledge the people on my team. I was told that simply saying thank you and taking the time to acknowledge someone's work, someone's contributions, someone's efforts, or someone's accomplishments was the single most powerful way to keep that person engaged, satisfied, and motivated. More motivating than money, more motivating than corporate perks, and more motivating than any other type of external reward. And I've found this to be very true during my years in the corporate world, and even now, both when I receive acknowledgement for my work and when I take the time to acknowledge someone else for their work. On the flip side, one of the most demotivating and demoralizing things is when you don't feel like you're getting the kind of appreciation or acknowledgement you feel you deserve for all that you do. 
Now, when I work with my clients who are looking for a way to make a career change, the number one complaint I hear from them is about not feeling energized by their work, either because they're misplaced or they're just not making the most of who they are. But the second most common complaint I hear is from people not feeling appreciated for what they do or not getting the credit they feel they deserve for all they do. What's interesting about this is that other people can have such a big impact on how we feel about ourselves. But one more person who has as big, if not a bigger impact on how you're feeling about things is, well, you. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of internal self-dialogue throughout the day. Probably more now than when I did when I was an employee at a company. Maybe just because I'm working all on my own right now. And I just spend more time by myself instead of being surrounded by others. And I've started to realize that this internal dialogue I have with myself actually has a really profound impact on my emotions, motivation, and drive. Now, I don't think of myself as an insecure person per se, but you know, in some ways, I am at times. So I'm always thinking about things like how I could squeeze more into my day or whether I'm doing as much as I can for my clients. Probably when I listen back to this episode, I'm going to hear things that I'm not quite happy with and want to do better next time. And then on top of that, there's everything else in my life outside of work. I'm thinking about whether I'm being the best husband I can to my wife, who's now a mother, whether I'm spending as much quality time as I can with my nine-month-old daughter without dropping the ball on my work, whether I'm getting enough exercise these days to stay fit, which is also important to me. So I kind of pride myself at pushing myself all the time because that's how I've made good things happen in my career and life. And on the one hand, this philosophy of ongoing self-improvement helps me improve. But always wondering whether I could do more also means I constantly feel like I'm not quite doing enough. And when I have this feeling of always falling just a little short, that doesn't feel very good. But this is partially a result of something I'm doing to myself that I avoid doing to others, which is not acknowledging my own work and not giving myself enough credit for what I have accomplished, which is, as I mentioned before, demotivating and demoralizing. It's kind of funny how we're sometimes so much harder on ourselves than we are on others that we say things to ourselves that we would never say to someone else. So something I'm really trying to do right now is to just cut myself some slack. And I'm also going to try to take it a step further by making a point to give myself some credit, to remind myself just how much I am doing, how much I'm balancing between client work, speaking engagements, adjusting to parenthood, being a first-time father, getting ready to make a major move to London next month, and trying to be there for all the people who matter to me in my life. I don't necessarily want to drop this idea of trying to push myself to do more or to be self-critical because I actually think that's how you grow. But I'm trying to at least take a moment every now and then to give myself some credit for everything I have been balancing and even to give myself permission to let a few things slide. When was the last time you took a moment to sit back and take an inventory of all the things you've managed to juggle over the past few months? 
of all the balls you haven't dropped, of all the people you have helped, of all the progress you have made with your work, and most importantly, of all those relationships you've continued to nurture and strengthen in whatever way you've been able to with the time that you have. Maybe you haven't done these things as well or as perfectly as you would have liked, but with everything you have going on, I really think you deserve to give yourself some credit for what you have managed to do, which can help you stay engaged, satisfied, and motivated, especially when you need it most. This takes me to a quote from author Cynthia Ocelli. Give yourself credit. It takes courage to start over and reach for a better life. Many people never even try. Their fear, insecurity, and lack of belief in their personal power hold them hostage, sometimes forever. Acknowledge, thank, and appreciate yourself for being brave enough to try. At every step along the way, give yourself your love, support, and recognition. So my challenge to you is to take five minutes, find a quiet place, and just think about what you were doing exactly a year ago today. Where were you? Who were you with? What was on your mind? And what were you planning to do in the year ahead? Now jump forward to the present day and just reflect on all the things you've been managing to do this past year, not only in your career, but also in your own personal life. Think about all the balls you've managed to juggle, about all the new challenges you've tackled, about all the people you've still been there for with everything else going on, and about how much progress you've made, especially with those things you knew nothing about a year ago. And if you do take time to do this exercise, I'd invite you to share one of those things you're most proud of with the Career Relaunch listener community. Feel free to leave a comment on the episode post that you'll find at facebook.com slash career relaunch. Before we go today, I just wanted to share the news that Career Relaunch has entered into the top 60 career podcasts in South Africa on Apple Podcasts, which is the first time this show has made it into the top 100 charts on the continent of Africa. And it's also really special for me because I traveled to South Africa right before business school and have really great memories from there, especially from Cape Town, which is an incredible city. So it's cool to think that the show is gaining some traction there. So I just want to give a special shout out today to all the listeners in South Africa. If you're out there and enjoying the show, I hope you'll share the podcast with someone you know. And better yet, I'd love for you to give me a call and leave a message with your thoughts on the show at careerrelaunch.net slash voicemail. If you want to help us grow our listener community around the world, I'd also invite you to leave a positive review at Apple Podcasts, which helps these stories reach more people who can benefit from them. You can do that at careerrelaunch.net slash 45, where you can also find a summary of all the key points from today's show and listen to more of Lonnie's original tracks, including this one you're hearing right now called Without Your Love. That's careerrelaunch.net slash 45. In the next episode, I'm featuring a telephone repairman turned shoe designer. We're going to talk about his experience being the oldest student at a prestigious design school in Italy and what he's learned about himself from making such a brave leap in his career. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch community and a special thanks again to Lonnie Love for sharing her music and her career story with us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.